create in me a pure heart. Put a new and right consciousness within me. Open me to your presence. As I let go of all else, flood me with your Holy Spirit. Restore me to the joy of your enlightenment and sustain me with a diligent spirit. Then, and not a moment sooner, will I be able to teach your love to the ignorant. Then the lost will have a chance to find their way home. Deliver me from the battles raging within me, and my tongue will sing of your salvation. When you change my heart, then you will open my lips, and my mouth will proclaim your praise. But right now, you have no delight in outward shows of righteousness or hollow praise. You don't want our shallow sacrifices or our righteous indignation. The sacrifice acceptable to you is an open spirit, a soul willing to be transformed, a clean heart willing to let go of judgment is one through which you can work. This is one of our sacred psalms. Thanks be to God. The deeper we get into election season, the more acutely many of us long for a national political revolution. This year has felt to me like an escalating apocalypse, a revelation of just how many of our national policies are rooted in nothing more than ignorance and fear and short-sighted greed. It's been an unveiling of just how poorly equipped too many of our leaders are for the tasks to which they've been appointed. On Tuesday morning, I turned on the news while I made breakfast, and the top report of the morning was on President Trump's response to the latest wave of wildfires devouring California and Oregon. I heard audio of Wade Crowfoot, California's Secretary for National, Natural Resources, pleading for the president to respond to the imposing reality of climate change, and then heard the president respond by saying, and I quote, it'll just start getting cooler. You just watch. I wish science would agree with you, Crowfoot quipped. And to that, the president said, well, I don't think science knows, actually. Wherever you fall on the political spectrum, whatever your posture towards fiscal responsibility or foreign relations, this cavalier denial of an impending crisis should not be acceptable. I was reminded of the first time I heard him say that COVID-19 would just disappear. And that was 197,000 deaths ago. I was also reminded of our national response to the revelation of white supremacy in our DNA and how it has borne the fruit of oppressive policies or the widespread realization of what toxic masculinity really means and how it bears the fruit of sexual assault and cover-up and of our utter political failure to address them in any way that could be called healthy or just. Each of these things is just fuel on the fire for our ache for a revolution. 
for someone, for a, a figure or a party that will step up and just defeat the bigotry and the denial, that will enact new laws and policies just fixing the things that need to be fixed. Now, to those of you cringing right now at how politically this sermon has started off, fear not. Because here's the point that I'm trying to make. As much as we want it, the kind of political revolution that we crave so badly, it won't work. It won't be enough. Voting is important. Policy change is essential. But for the kind of revolution we long for, both are ultimately insufficient. In the 1860s, an entire civil war was fought in the name of political revolution. People died to change the oppressive structures, powers, and policies that undergirded life in the United States. And when the Union won, those laws protecting slavery were rewritten, and slavery as an institution was abolished. The ignorant and narrow-minded people were removed from power, and the pieces were all rearranged as the victors wanted them to be. But the problem, though, is that it didn't work. Not in the way we wanted it to. I mean, by the logic of political revo revolution, this really should have been the end of racial oppression. But of course, it wasn't. Because though slavery was abolished, the racist consciousness of the South, and the North for that matter, went largely unchallenged. And so it was not difficult at all for the nation to quickly make the transition from slavery to segregation and the criminalization of blackness. The pieces on the surface were rearranged, but those egoic notions of us versus them, of separation, of the need to be, to be for supremacy and the fear of insignificance, all of those notions went unchallenged and untransformed. And so the wheel kept on turning. It keeps on turning, unhindered. The truth is that if we want a revolution, one that leads to lasting change, a change for the better, then it cannot be a revolution of politics alone. If we want to change things as followers of Christ, then we must pursue, first and foremost, a revolution in consciousness. In 1990, Vaclav Havel stood before a joint session of Congress to speak. Now, in a previous life, Havel was a playwright and a political dissident before landing in jail as a prisoner of communists in Czechoslovakia. When communism in Europe fell, though, Havel and his powerful voice would soon become the first president of the newly formed Czech Republic. And as he stood before the United States Congress, he gave the following speech. The communist type of totalitarian system has left both our nations, Czechs and Slovaks, a legacy of countless dead an infinite spectrum of human suffering, profound in economic decline, and above all, enormous human humiliation. But it has also given us something positive. 
a special capacity to look from time to time somewhat further than those who have not undergone this bitter experience. Someone who cannot move and live a normal life because they are pinned under a boulder has time to think about their hopes, more time than someone who is not trapped in this way. What I'm trying to say is this, we must learn many things from you, from how to educate our offspring, to how to elect representatives, how to organize our economic life so that it leads to prosperity and not poverty, but this does not have to be merely assistance from a well-educated and powerful nation to those who have nothing to offer in return. Because we too can offer something to you, and that's our experience and the knowledge that has come from it. And the specific experience I'm talking about has given me one certainty. Consciousness precedes being, and not the other way around, as the Marxists claim. And for this reason, the salvation of the human world lies nowhere else than in the human heart, in the human power to reflect, in human modesty and human responsibility. Without a global revolution in the sphere of human consciousness, nothing is going to change for the better. And the catastrophe towards which the world is headed, be it ecological, social, demographic, or a general breakdown of civilization, will be unavoidable. Consciousness precedes being, and not the other way around. For years, we have proceeded with this vague notion that racism is bad, without pausing to truly understand the consciousness that drives it, the belief that different is threatening and that profit supersedes well-being. For years, we have proceeded with this vague notion that women and men are equal, yet how often have we reflected on what it really means to us to be a man or to be a woman? And what stories, even our most sacred stories, have informed that? For years, we've proceeded with this vague notion that we should take care of the planet without really pausing to look deeply into the truth of our interdependence without confronting the hungry ghosts inside our minds that are always consuming but never satisfied. It is our impulse, of course, to skip past consciousness, the way we think about things, the way we feel about things, the stories we tell and occupy ourselves only with being, with the want to blame and change things on the outside rather than look inward at ourselves to investigate our thinking and our feeling within ourselves that may actually contribute to what is happening out there. We have a passionate desire to tear down monuments, to dismantle oppressive systems, to cast out those in power. But if we are not first able to undergo an honest change in consciousness, then as Havel says, Nothing is really going to change for the better. As I read Havel's address for the first time, I began considering 
whether it was true, turning it over in my mind. And it's probably not surprising that the first arena my imagination was drawn to was that of religion. Communities of faith, when you think about it, they're full of ambitious leaders excited about new missions and new vision. They're full of committees coming up with new policies, trying to get the right people into leadership positions, trying to come up with exciting new programs to attract young people. It's really easy for religious communities to become obsessed with the structure of the thing, to believe that how it's arranged from the top down will somehow influence the congregation for the better. The truth is, as many of us have had to learn the hard way, is that no number of programs and no amount of institutional reworking is an adequate substitute for a change of consciousness on the ground floor. There is no substitute for the inner work that leads us to have hard, honest conversations. There's no substitute for the self-examination that teaches us the real art of reconciliation and grace. Give me this church over a well-organized church any day because this is the kind of community that can heal, that can melt shame and ego and engage in lasting, meaningful work within or outside of their walls. The religious world is, of course, a microcosm of what plays out on a larger stage. There's excited leaders and groups and committees coming up with new policies and programs. But, as Jesus taught the Pharisees, you might clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside is still full of greed and ignorance. Clean the inside of the cup, and everything that comes out of it will be clean. Consciousness comes before being. Now by this point, some of us might be nodding along in agreement. In fact, some of us may have started a list in our head of exactly who we think really ought to hear this. People who are politically gung-ho but are blind to what's going on in their own head. We all know these people, but hold on for a moment because I want to be clear. The consciousness we're talking about here, it's collective, sure, but not collective in the sense that we're just talking about them. The consciousness we're talking about most fundamentally is your own. This is, after all, the only consciousness you really have any agency over in the end. It's your own spirit, it's your own thinking that I'm asking us to examine, not anyone else's. It's actually difficult to think this way in a culture that perpetually tells us that the excitement and the importance are, are out there, that what's happening on a national stage is what's most important. That's where it feels like the real work is being done, but that's not true. That can just be one more way to distract ourselves from the responsibility of our own consciousness. You are where the real work is being done. You are the best hope for your own world. If you don't begin with your consciousness, the inside of your cup and dish, 
then the things that proceed out of it are likely ineffective and insincere. As Richard Rohr is fond of saying, transformed people transform people. Consciousness is contagious. If you want to see a transformation in the world, then you have got to unavoidably lead with your own inner work and your own transformation. Could it be possible that the best thing you could do for our nation at this moment is to learn to meditate or to find a counselor? Could it be that the world does not need your righteous indignation or fear but it needs for you to have the courage to face your own shadows and become the freedom you want to see. Could it be that the best thing you can do for climate change, for racial justice, for the political divisions we face is to investigate your own thinking and the ways you do battle with yourself? Consciousness precedes being. So people of God, let's get to work on our own consciousness, individual and collective, so that the spirit within us may be the source of a river of life that flows through the center of our city streets, watering trees that bear the fruit of just and equitable policy and leaves for the healing of the nation. Let us move through this election season, learning to pray in harmony with the psalmist who sings, create in us a pure heart and to put a new and right consciousness within us. And then we will be able to teach your love to the ignorant. Then the lost will have a chance to find their way home. Amen.